0: I'll just pass on some notes. So, folks, we're continuing in the book of Ephesians, looking at being alive in Christ and, uh, What Paul is trying to communicate to us and to the readers of the day when he wrote this letter was that there's an excitement about being alive in Christ. There's some parts of this letter that we probably don't identify with and today is one of those. So, uh, I know you've all been standing up uh, so I won't ask you to stand again but I will ask you to put your thinking hats on. So, if you want to visibly do that, put your thinking hats on because today's passage is a passage which even though it's true and it's real, Sometimes I think myself when I'm reading it, how does that fit with me? How do I fit into this? You know, uh, how does it work for me and for us as a church today? But I believe there's a real message there for us, uh, and and Bob's alluded to that already this morning in talking about the fact that we're citizens of the kingdom of God, and so I trust that that's what we'll get out of it today, and what that what the implications are for us as people of the kingdom of God. Reading from Ephesians chapter one, verses three. verses 1 to 13, we're looking at this mystery unravelled idea. Now, in that uh, St. Bart's video this morning, the, the woman there talked about a mystery and certainly Paul refers to this mystery in this chapter and I trust that we'll be able to discover and understand what the mystery is. This is what Paul writes as he continues his letter in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. So, in this part of the letter, Paul starts talking about this mystery. In reading this then, in verse 4, there we are, in reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So, he's first of all talked about a mystery, now he enlarges that to talk about the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the Gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So, he starts to explain the mystery. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So, he's starting to explain this mystery. Verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So, I don't know how you feel about that passage, but for me, it it took a little bit of digging to understand what God was saying to me and hopefully we'll be able to do that today. Who loves a good mystery? Anybody love a good mystery? Uh, Some people love the murder mystery type one. Some people love the... uh, um, investigation mysteries, some people like the adventure mysteries. Well, one of my favourite authors was um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Who's read some of the Sherlock Holmes stories? Yeah, yeah, who's read them all? Yeah, 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 okay. How would it be if you were reading a Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes mystery and you got to the end and Holmes declared, I know what happened, the end. You'd say, what's this story about? Because me, I like to guess. I don't know about you, but I like to guess all the way through what the ending's going to be like. I'm not one of these people that reads the last chapter first. I couldn't stand to do that. But if that was the way that the story finished, you'd you'd feel as though you were cheated, wouldn't you? That this mystery was there throughout the whole story, but it wasn't resolved at the end. So, God has given us a resolve to the mystery that's in the Scriptures. And part of that mystery is that, is there a cure for spiritual cancer? And the answer is, yes, there is. And is there a cure for division amongst believers in the one true God? Yes, there is. So, Paul starts to pull out this mystery today and explain it to us. A mystery by definition is something which is not easily understood but that will eventually be revealed to those who search and wait. Isn't that the case? You know, I've got nearly all the Clive Custler books on my shelves at home and I like them because the way it starts is sometimes totally different to the way it ends and you never thought that that would be the end of the story but often the the mystery is solved. God's word is true. Do we understand everything in God's word? No, I don't. But I'm okay to live with that mystery or with some mysterious element to the word of God because ultimately I know that one day we will know everything just as Jesus knows everything. And along the way, God chooses to reveal his revelation or give us his revelation concerning some of those mysteries and that's exactly what Paul is writing about today. In Ephesians chapter 3, if you've ever noticed it, you might not have noticed it before, but but Paul is actually praying a prayer for the believers that are receiving this. He's praying a prayer that they will understand this mystery. The, The prayer actually starts in verse 14, which we won't look at today, we'll look at next week, but this is the preliminary explanation of how he's going to pray. So, Paul looks at five things this morning, this is where we're going. To unravel this mystery, or to understand the mystery of our oneness in Christ, He's going to touch on five things. Well, I've, I've certainly decided on five things this morning. What does it mean for us to, stand that, to understand that Paul was a prisoner of the mystery in Ephesians verses one to four? You may have them there in front of you. Paul tells us that he was a prisoner of this mystery. There was something that encapsulated you know, and captured him. He says, for this reason, right at the beginning of the verse there. He says, for this reason, and he's just talked about in uh, what we saw last couple of weeks, some of the reasons that he is now an apostle, a minister, a prisoner of this mystery. And I think I've listed them up there. Yep. okay, so he talks about uh, these previous truths and we saw them last week, that the person in Christ becomes new, a new person, that all believers are in one body, that the Gentiles who were once far away now become near to God when they believe. That all believers are equally citizens of God's kingdom and members of his family. And that all believers are being built into God's temple and his dwelling. We looked at that last week. So, these are, these are truths that Paul has already written about in the first part of his letter. Remember, I've said in the last few weeks that what we have as the first three chapters are the, the theological statement. And the last four chapters that we have are the practical application of this. So, Paul is trying to get into our heads, our minds. God's trying to say to us, this is who you are. This is who you are. So, Paul talks about his own situation, that he was an apostle, a prisoner of Jesus Christ in verse 1 of chapter 3. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, he calls himself an apostle, appointed by God. And certainly, Paul wrote at least... 13 of the 27 books or letters that we have in the New Testament. He's probably the, the main human instrument that God's Spirit used to encourage the new church and to teach the new church. And more than any of the other writers or apostles, Paul explains or delineates these mysteries of the gospel the truths that were hidden to some of the most faithful believers throughout the ages, the prophets the faithful saints who followed the um, Jewish religion, these were hidden and now they are made known to the Church of Jesus Christ. So, a very privileged role Paul was in but at the same time he calls himself a prisoner, a prisoner of Christ. Was he a prisoner? Yes, he was. He was in prison when he wrote this. He was writing it from Rome. He'd been a prisoner at that time for, for five years, two in Caesarea and then the rest in Rome. He'd been arrested on false charges By the the Jews, they'd made these false charges and so he went before um, Felix, he went before Festus, he went before King Agrippa and finally he went before Caesar or appealed to Caesar. And so he was transported to Rome, allowed to stay in his own quarters but had a guard with him all the time. So technically he was a prisoner in that he didn't have the freedom to go wherever he wanted him to do. Someone has once said this, although arrested on Jewish charges, Paul did not consider himself a prisoner of the Jews. Although imprisoned by Roman authority, Paul did not consider himself a prisoner of Rome. Although he had appealed to Caesar, he did not consider himself Caesar's prisoner. He was a minister of Jesus Christ. Bought with a price, given a special mission of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, He was therefore a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's how he saw himself. Whatever he did, wherever he went, was under the control of Jesus. Without his Lord's permission, without his Lord's direction, he couldn't make his own plans. So, he was a prisoner for Jesus. Someone else you may remember of recent times, reading some of her story, Corrie Tenburn said much the same thing. She said that wherever she was, that was just the part of the world that God wanted her to take the Gospel to. Even the German concentration camps. She considered herself a prisoner of Jesus. That was Paul's perspective. I wonder, do we have that understanding of this mystery that, that we are free because of the purchase price that Jesus has paid for our sin, but we're also encaptured as prisoners of Jesus? Let me say that you are not a prisoner of a virus, whatever its name is these days. You're not a prisoner of a dead-end job. You're not a prisoner of a difficult marriage or a debt or, or the expectations of those around you. As a Christian, as someone who bears the name of Christ, whatever situation we are in, even the most difficult we find ourselves in, there's a godly purpose in that. Paul was under house arrest. Did he like it? We don't know. But he was there because that's where God wanted him to be. He can use us in any difficult situation we find ourselves in. Paul was in prison for God's purpose for his people. And he goes on to say that he was there for the sake of the Gentiles. Jesus was crucified not for his own sake but for the sake of the whole world, for you and I. Paul was a prisoner for Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. He was there for them. He was appointed as the messenger, the apostle to the Gentiles. So that was his one focus in ministry. He didn't choose his ministry. God called him to it. Paul was chosen and commissioned by God's grace for the task of taking the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles as well as to Israel. How do we view our role in life? I think the sooner we see that our time, our, our resources, our talents, our gifts, our abilities really are not our own but they've been entrusted to us by God then we won't resent spending any time in ministry or doing the things that God asks us to do. When those things are taken from us perhaps unjustly by others we won't take it as a personal affront. We'll say, Lord, what do you want me to do now? Paul saw that his prisonership in that place in Rome wasn't something to be a, a, a thing of concern. It was the place where God wanted him to be. And verse 3 tells us, it says that it's the mystery, he had the mission of that mystery known to him by revelation from God, that he had to share that with others. Remember what the definition of a mystery is? Something that's unknown but ultimately is revealed? Well, God revealed that to Paul and that mystery was now his to reveal to the people who would listen to him, either preach or teach or read his letters. In verse 4, he explains why. He says, by reading this, or when you read this, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Do we understand the mystery of Christ, what he's called us to do and be? This main mystery that Paul was told to, called to tell the people about was that Jew and Gentile are now a part of God's one family, his kingdom family. It's the complete gospel, not just that Christ died for our sins, But as a result of that, he built us into his one church, into the mystery of the church. Christ died and rose again not only to save us, but to create this new humanity, if you like, this new expression of church, which is God's plan for us. I found this illustration about a missionary couple. They were the Burnhams, uh, Martin and his wife. They were held in the Philippines by a uh, a terrorist group, for 376 days. You may remember that a few years ago. And during that time, sadly, Martin died. But, but while he was alive, the terrorists made him into a servant to carry their supplies across the awful terrain of the Philippines. But while he was bearing their loads, he never complained. Though they were becoming increasingly weak and malnourished, even when the relief agencies supplied food to them, they shared them with their captors. He even repaired some satellite phones for them when they were broken. And Martin said to his wife, the Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. Let's go all the way. Let's serve him all the way with gladness, even amongst these terrorists. The story goes on and says that the evidence of his decision to live that way became apparent when even to his captors who would debate, who would chain him every night. Because every night they didn't want to make him their prisoner because he cared for them so much. It was a part of their ritual to chain him up. He would say thank you every night they put the chain on his arm or his leg over those evenings, Martin would patiently explain the Gospel to his Muslim captors. He was living for them and viewed his situation as a calling from God to minister the mysteries of the Gospel to those lost souls. So, he was following Paul's example even in that awful situation to bring to them the mystery of the Gospel. So, if, if we're to understand this oneness in Christ that we have we're not only to consider the prisoner being Paul being a prisoner of the mystery we're to consider the plan that this mystery involved verses 3 to 5 Paul says in verse 5 he says that there has been a general meaning of the mystery and then he goes on in verse 6 to talk about this very particular meaning of the mystery he says it has now been revealed it has now been revealed by God's spirit, to his holy apostles and prophets. Paul was excited. He was excited that, that God had used men as his instruments to write the scriptures, to tell the message, to explain the mystery. They were holy, they were set apart for God's purposes. It was an exciting time for Paul. Now, God promised Abraham many years before that the whole world would be blessed because of um, what Abraham was going to do and become as the people of Israel. Now, God was fulfilling this. In verse 6 in particular, Paul says that this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the strong difference between Jews and Gentiles, the the enmity that was there, the resentment, well now that barrier had been broken down because of who Jesus was. So these Gentiles who were once excluded from the people of Israel had now become members of the covenants of promise. That's an amazing story. We probably don't get it that much because we don't see that difference in our society. But certainly for them it was a life changing thing. What we do see in our society is the haves and the have-nots. Have you ever seen that? And who do the advertisers appeal to? The have-nots. So, in a lot of the advertising that's out there, it's all about envy and jealousy, even though they don't use those words. But they do say, if you have this, you'll be better off. And sadly, it creates dissatisfaction in people's lives, with their jobs, with their marriage, with their kids, with life in general. What Paul is saying here is that we don't have to be affected by that. If we focus on God and his promises, then the satisfaction comes in eternal things, not necessarily in the earthly things that we're tempted by. We have to understand God's plan for this mystery. Some, some people in, in our church, some people in our lives are doing it tough and we don't always have the answers for them. But the ultimate answer is Jesus Christ both now and for eternity. The third aspect that Paul talks about in this understanding the mystery of this oneness in Christ is the preaching of the mystery in verses 7 to 9. And in these verses he says that he is taking the gospel out so that all who will believe him will come to faith in Christ, that he's the servant to the gospel. Now, Paul was someone who was knowledgeable. He looked at his history a couple of weeks back He was a knowledgeable student of the Jewish law. He could claim some authority in his own right, yet he chooses to be known as a servant, a humble servant. One commentator said that a servant is one who acts on the commands of others, who recognises and submits to a higher power. That's what Paul was doing. He didn't make himself an apostle. He received that call from God. He was willing to serve God in that way. What did Paul say? He said, according to the gift of God's grace given to me, according to the working of his power. So, for Paul, as a prisoner of Christ, as a servant of Christ, the power that came for him to preach the gospel was given by God. Does that happen for you and I? Let me tell you a story about something that was shared with me this week. A person went to their hairdresser. And they had their hair done, and then at the end of the hairdressing session, the hairdresser asked this person, What do you think of this leaflet? It was left here by somebody else. And the leaflet was a a Christian leaflet talking about the end times, Jesus coming back again. And um, this lady was thrilled to pieces that she was able to talk with her hairdresser about Jesus, her Lord. How does that work? Do you know what it took? It took one person to leave that leaflet behind. It took another person prepared to talk about what they needed to be true about Jesus. That's the heart of a humble servant. That's the opportunity that God gives when we allow him to lead us and guide us. Some other people might have got all dumbfounded and not been able to explain what they, That lady spent 45 minutes uninterrupted because the next person was late for their appointment to be able to share with the hairdresser who Jesus is what he's done and why he's coming again. I wonder, are we ready to do that same thing, just like Paul was? Paul said, although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me. Now, that's really strange for Paul to say that. Some people might say it was a false humility because Paul was a great saint and yet he had problems as well. What he's saying is that filled with the Holy Spirit, God will take anybody and use anybody to do his will. I wonder if you have a challenge before you where you think God's asking me to do something that's really tough and I'm not sure that I can do it. I'm not sure that I'm up for the task. But do you know that's where God wants you if he's asking you to do it? For me, I can't spiritually grow this church. I can't come up behind Kevin's arm and twist it behind his back and say, you need to grow as a Christian, Kevin. Wouldn't work, would it? I can't guarantee that people's hearts are going to be changed. All those things Christ has promised to do. What the Spirit needs to do is open the door. What he needs to find is willing hearts who are willing to change. The pastor's role is to prepare people to be willing to change, to be available to God. Do you know what happens then? Just as Paul was willing to, he said, then I'll be able to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ if we're ready, if we're available, if we're willing, we'll have those opportunities to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. One writer has said that the reservoir is so deep that soundings cannot reach the bottom of it, these unsearchable riches of Christ. No limit can be placed on the resources of Christ. No sinner can be so foul. No multitude can be so huge that the blood of Christ and the love of Christ are inadequate. No scholar can exhaust the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. No philosopher can surpass the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the answer is there for everybody. Paul goes on to say that his aim is to bring light into the whole world, to bring light for everyone. This this plan, this administration of the mystery that was hidden for ages in God, is now to be brought out in light to everyone. Not only was Paul called to preach what God told him to preach, but he was called to repair the hearts of people so that they might listen. His mission was to bring the light, to reveal the truth. Some of you might have heard of the um, conductor Toscanini. He once gave this great concert for which the audience was wildly enthusiastic. There were several encores. You know how it works. You finish a song, you walk up the stage, come back. Well, there were several of those. Finally, there was a quietness and Toscanini turned around to his orchestra with his back to the audience so only the orchestra could hear. and He said, I am nothing. You are nothing. But Beethoven, he is everything. So, it wasn't just the people involved. It was the person who wrote the story, wrote the music that the audience enjoyed. He knew, Paul knew, that it wasn't him doing the work, it was God who wrote the story that brings us the changes in people's lives. The fourth aspect in in understanding the oneness that we have in Christ is the purpose of the mystery. He says in verse 10 and 11, his intent was that now through the church, God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be known, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realise that that's what you and I are the church for? That we might make known to the, the wisdom of God, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And in effect, it's talking about the angels. It's talking about the angels understanding God's plan and purpose because they're not like God. They can't see the future. They're, they're God's servants and messengers in the spiritual world. Our role is to help them see God's plan in action, if you like. Our role is to help the heavenlies, the heavenly realms, see that God's purpose is happening. He says in verse 11 there, according to the eternal purpose that God has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord everything has a purpose. We may not understand why the Jews and the Gentiles were at loggerheads but we do understand that Jesus is the one that brings people together. We might not understand that there are people in our community and perhaps our relatives and friends that hate the fact that we are followers of Jesus but ultimately it's Jesus' plan that maybe they will come to faith in him too. Another illustration which is based on Toscanini And his orchestra is this. It was said that it was a great honour and a very very intimidating honour to be a part of the orchestra with uh, Toscanini as the conductor. This is expressed even for being just one of a large group and doing a very small part in that concert. The sense of awe and desire to do that little part well for the maestro continued strong in the memory of everybody that was involved. The huge audience could not distinguish any individual voice or instrument sound but together the choir and the orchestra gave them pleasure and added to the reputation of this great conductor. This section of Ephesians tells us that the church is to demonstrate God's wisdom, God's plan to a heavenly audience. We may think that our individual voices count for little But you know there's great rejoicing in heaven when one soul comes to faith in Jesus and God's plan is revealed. So, just as if God's the great conductor, we're a part of his orchestra, a part of his choir, doing what he wants us to do. And this last aspect of unravelling the mystery of our oneness in Christ is the privilege of the mystery Paul writes in these two verses in 12 and 13. He says, in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. If you know in Hebrews, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, he talks about this privilege that we have of coming into the presence of God. We're not to be flippant, we're not to be irreverent, but we are here because we have the privilege of knowing Jesus. And that should come with all our respect towards God and our humility before him as well but we can be honest with God. We can be open in our speech. We can be be free to tell God what's on our hearts and minds. That's what Paul's saying. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. But in the light of that, Paul says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of his sufferings. Why? Because he sees himself as a prisoner of Christ. It's a part of God's plan for him. And many believers grieved over Paul's extended years of imprisonment. They were were concerned he must not be doing the right thing if God's got him in jail. But he was doing the right thing because that's where God wanted him to be. Paul said in his letter to the Romans, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul was prepared to suffer for the sake of the Gospel. He was prepared to suffer so that this mystery of Christ and his church might be explained to any who would listen. Started off by talking about reading mystery books. Are you one of these people that needs to know every detail? You know, oh, I missed that one. I better go back and read the chapter before because I read over that. Oh, now now it all fits, you know. Maybe that's you. Paul writes that yes, the mysteries will be revealed when he's talking about our spiritual walk, but not all of them. But we can know the details of this mystery, just as Paul did, because we can understand that he was a prisoner of the mystery. He talked about the plan, the preaching, the purpose and the privilege of that mystery. The ultimate mystery is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour and he's the one who brings his people together from all different backgrounds so that the Heavenly realms will know that God's plan is in action. Did you realise that we had a part in that? That was an eye-opener for me as I was reading this passage once again. That our being the church, people saved by grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ are declaring to the heavenly realms, one, Jesus has won, he's the victor, but two, God's plan is in action. I'm excited about that. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you for Paul. Uh, sometimes his writings can be a bit heady and a bit wordy but Father as we break them down hopefully you'll give us understanding. Lord, um, we can't explain everything and, and, and because we're not like you yet but one day we will see things as Jesus sees them. Thank you for the inspiration, the revelation you gave to Paul It helps us to understand how this oneness can happen not just amongst the Jews and Gentiles but amongst us all from different backgrounds because of who Jesus Christ is. Thank you for that. Thank you, Father, that you have a plan for us and this church. Thank you that part of that plan is to declare not only to the heavenlies but to the world that your plan is in action. And we praise you for that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Bob.